0: So something really unsettling just happened. But first, let me introduce this. Uh, Hello, this is episode 18 of the Near Future Laboratory podcast. It's a special episode, an excerpt from General Seminar 10, where the topic of discussion was crypto gaming. So why crypto and why gaming? Well, I've been hearing about it and wondering about what it was all about. And I'm genuinely curious about what the heck is going on crypto and crypto plus gaming, it all seems so breathless and everything is exploding and variously full of potential or full of scams, depending on who you're talking to. It's controversial. And when I see something I'm curious about that's also controversial, I want to dig a bit because uh, nothing is more exciting to me than culture in the making. And oftentimes that is what controversy is. Culture coming into being or being remade or refashioned in some way. And it turns out I'm not the only one who's attracted to the sense-making that goes on. So we get together, take a breath and take a look and open curious minds. And that's what seminar is all about, sense-making. Okay, so what is unsettling about this? Well, I say all that because I also want to say that immediately before this particular general seminar, on that very morning... I recorded an episode of the podcast, the one right before this one, it's episode 17. And that episode was with blockchain artist Sarah Friend, who has created a few blockchain games, or more specifically, play systems that live on the blockchain. They're cryptographic games, crypto games. So here I am doing a podcast with uh, with Sarah, and knowing that I'm going to have General Seminar afterwards, I was just excited about all that. The day I finished producing that podcast, I went onto Twitter to just sort of announce that the podcast was available I scrolled through my feed for a few moments, and I came across a tweet from a friend. I guess a friend, not really so much, perhaps a colleague or former colleague. The tweet was dark. I posted a link to it in the show notes. I think just generally this person has gone quite dark in most of the nozzles they squeak through on the internet. The tweet was a setup to dismiss crypto games. It was really a straw man setup, which is basically what Twitter is designed for, and I somewhat naively wanted to clarify the misconceptions that I thought the tweet represented. That was a mistake. I offered a reply to suggest that despite the frustration they expressed, there was definitely something going on in the space and maybe they should look more closely with a wider lens rather than dismissing the whole practice out of hand. I mean... In my head, I had just finished editing a podcast with a blockchain artist who makes games and who is practicing expressing themselves in a legitimate way that is touching others in meaningful fashion, using crypto and game mechanics. So the fact that this person was pointing out that crypto games are a scam seemed a little bit far-fetched to me. I mean, I had done a podcast with a crypto game maker and i had done a general seminar with a bunch of really thoughtful people who were engaging the topic with an open mind and it seemed just wrong to just say that it's all scams i made the mistake of actually caring what uh, what they thought uh, in this in this twitter thread and i basically got uh, dunked on and it was It was terrible. Uh, It got dunked on by another person who's also a a game designer, um, who were effectively saying all crypto games are scams. And to bring the point home, they showered the thread with two examples of such. I made a further mistake by arguing that scams still come in my email inbox, for example, yet email is not a scam, it's not illegitimate, nor is it useless. I know that last point may be tenuous, but I, I still run my professional life to a large extent through email and my personal life, and I've learned to ignore scams and spam even if my email client cannot. So what's the point I'm making here? It's that these knee-jerk reactions, to things that are new or that seem different from what we're used to or that run counter to our understanding of what is legitimate versus what is a scam and an inability to open to be open to difference, or to change, or even to pause for a moment and do the hard work, which is a lot harder than uh, pointing out scams, the really hard work of finding the good even amongst the rotten, it is a really pernicious defect of the human psyche. And one would be well served to adopt the alternative sensibility, which is to recognize the source of the frustration, which is probably you, and ask questions rather than issuing vitriol and resisting the urge to dunk on Twitter. Okay, I'll finish my point by way of segueing to General Seminar. More happy stuff. The underlying purpose of General Seminar is to counter this kind of knee-jerk reaction and learn how to discuss confusing, opaque, emerging topics like, in this case, the convergence of cryptography and gaming, and to do so with an open mind. To learn how to look and listen before issuing vitriol, which often comes from an unwillingness to appreciate the new and the different that unwillingness is a kind of prejudice. It's symptomatic of uh, an ability to prejudge rather than accept and understand. Okay, that's out of the way. Let's get to General Seminar 10, Crypto Gaming. So in this General Seminar, as I've mentioned over and over again, that was the topic, Crypto Gaming. I provided a a bunch of uh, stimulus materials, some of which was discussed directly, some of which was discussed peripherally. And uh, you can find all that at GeneralSeminar.com and just go to the General Seminar 10 page. The excerpts that you'll find here are some of the areas that Katie and I identified as very interesting things that we wanted to uh, present and share with you. So as a reminder, the way General Seminar works is there's the broad topic, in this case, crypto gaming. Then we all gather, uh, 16 of us, in a room on Zoom and I provide a brief introduction, and then I offer a design fiction brief to the to the entire seminar, and then everyone goes into these breakout rooms one-on-one, so they're with one other individual, and they discuss the brief, and they try to re- find a way to respond to it, and essentially have a discussion one-on-one to evolve and develop their kind of appreciation and understanding of the topic. And then after about 20 or 25 minutes, Everyone comes back into the main seminar room and then we go through each group and the discussion evolves and develops from there. So the breakout groups were given the brief to think about uh, what crypto gaming might look like in a near future where crypto gaming is kind of hygienic. Uh, You do it Friday night with your family. It's something that is quite routine. doesn't require all this kind of uh, hoops to jump through that it currently does because it's emerging and it's still trying to figure itself out. But to the point where it's like as common and ordinary as you know, back in the day playing Snake on your Nokia phone, or today playing uh Candy Crush or whatever the kids are playing. So what does that world look like and why are people engaged in it? The first group came out of the box really wanting to talk about the aesthetic nature of the games, which I thought was like totally cool. So the the fact that this kind of was the the focus of their attention uh was kind of beautiful. I, I guess I had initially expected that they would be talking about game mechanics and more specifics about the technology or that kind of thing, but they went to this cultural realm and wanted to identify what it was uh, that created this particular aesthetic that they saw in In many of these games, and that led to a really um, a really uh, a w- really wonderful conversation that helped us understand and appreciate in a way that i don 't think would have happened if we had just focused on the technical or instrumental aspects of crypto gaming so I thought that was really nice, and the fact that it came first off was was fascinating, and it kept coming back in further discussions so the way I'm producing this is that you 'll hear excerpts from general Seminar and then you'll hear a little bumper sound that means that you're kind of going to the post reflection commentary that uh, katie and i had after general seminar we're just trying to laminate another layer of insight and perspective on the discussion after having let it marinated for for a couple days okay let's jump into general seminar number 10 crypto gaming
1: i think we're both kind of interested in the the aesthetic nature of of, uh these games as well and kind of what you can learn about the what you can learn about them from that. Um and then I think both were a little bit stumped in terms of thinking about like the prosaic uh experience, embodied experience of, of gameplay and the Friday night game night. I'm interested in kind of like the, the visual culture of of these digital digital worlds and platforms and stuff. And I think even looking Julian at the background, your um flyer background which has the you know the kind of like whatever synthwave outrun kind of classic crypto nft kind of look and feel and so i'm interested in like what the aesthetics communicate and like how kind of uh we're talking about kind of guilds and kind of uh communities within gaming culture as well and how like shared aesthetics kind of can play a big part in that and i just kind of like as an observer and researcher like super interested in how these aesthetics evolve And kind of what meaning they have and then what like social or economic kind of currency they can kind of become
0: yeah i have to say that um i am i'm equally fascinated particularly in the crypto space it's been kind of fun to make these flyers just to be a little bit reckless with uh design aesthetics
1: (laughs) totally i love it as a mashup great yeah
0: yeah and but then i i've been fascinated as well even outside of the crypto gaming but crypto aesthetics generally like what is going on purple pink
1: yeah for a while i was i was trying to kind of chart some of this through you know that the outrun look and then synth wave and um uh then also like fash wave aesthetics you know this has been kind of this look has been commandeered as well for kind of like fascistic uh movements and so just the kind of like outrun background with the pink and blue and then instead of kind of a rising digital sun, it'll be like a black sun, you know, in the background. So I think I'm the thinking about what the political economy of those kind of these images as well and how they can be mobilized by different people is super interesting. And I really, yeah, like you, Julian, want to read more about it.
0: Yeah.
2: But it's also like, for example, like the the top uh font that you use on on it is it could be easily something that uh in Berlin the Volksbühne, like a big theater, like really influential theater, would use uh for their branding. And they use similar fonts in their branding like 10 years ago. And it, there is like there is there are a lot of things colliding. Um uh and it's just interesting. It's I think like it's part of that. Um like really quickly adopting different kind of aesthetics and just mashing them together and seeing what sticks and but also like creating in that process something completely new that a theater like the Fox Spinner would never like dare to kind of like done it, it was very clean like we used that font but everything else was super clean um, and I think like like, NFT communities are like but we can just mash it together and see what what's, uh, uh, comes out of it
1: It's like, to me, a weird mix of like nostalgia and inspiration, right? Because all those colorways and stuff are really specifically 80s, you know, and the media coming out at that time was like, oh, like cyberspace is the future, like Tron, you know, and then we're not there, right? And so people are like, how do we get there? Well, we can kind of uh, adopt these aesthetics, right? To like try to reframe people to like move in that direction. Like maybe we're starting to get closer and like, You know, it's way better than like HTML page, right? In Times New Roman, terms of aesthetics.
3: I don't. I also. I don't know. I I was looking at these uh, Axie Infinity and these other more like developed uh, crypto games, and it. I mean, the other aesthetic is like the the click uh, the clickbait game mean world, which is like you know highly templatized assets and. You know, it's basically, I don't know, these creatures for me were like pretty much, you know, whether it was a crypto aspect to it or not, like the game aesthetic is the same as a cheap, uh, addictive game. I mean, I mean, for me, that's like the, I don't know, the the professional templatized look at the crypto gaming is going to look like Flappy Birds, and then there is the, Punk, uh, pixelated. Uh, I don't know. I was looking at the loot project, the link uh, that you guys sent, and it blew my mind. I, I couldn't talk for a day <laughs> because I was like, what is this and how does this make any sense? And then the whole sort of like decentralized aesthetics that people start to, you know, because there is no game. So everyone is going to interpret and somehow it becomes pixel art. Um, and I don't know whether that's because of the typology of, because pixel art is really hard to do. And because this is like really weird world then I'm going to make them more complicated as I can. So I don't know if there is like a sort of like typology of people that get into the aesthetics of this have that. I don't know where I'm going, but yeah, that's it.
2: <laughs> I really like uh, picking up on what Camille said. Um- it's actually like a theme that I was I, I heard a lot of times is like Web 3 is basically like a do-over on what Web 2 broke in a sense that it's like a lot of people are arguing like, we'll basically do Web 1 as it was supposed to be in Web 3. Um, and Web 2 is just like this weird capitalist anomaly that we'll just pass over.
4: It's almost like in the eighties, there was an aesthetic that had this idea of a, of an interesting future. And then we went and got to the future and realized like, nah, this isn't what we want it to be. Let's just go back to projecting this aesthetic because we want to go back to what we were thinking about in the eighties. Cause the nineties came around and the web just kind of screwed it all up. Yeah. It's like, if, if, um, if John Carpenter, uh, invented the web, um, what's really interesting to me if you look at the aesthetic a lot of the uh, music associated with that aesthetic didn't actually exist Um, like the stuff where a lot of these these groups draw their uh, influence from is more the john carpenter soundtracks than the flock of seagulls stuff it's fascinating to me how um how the uh, this is retconning um a past view of the future to fit a different agenda what i see happening in this uh in this space if we talk about the the aesthetic and the and the culture around it is actually going back and almost rewriting and not deliberately but but retconning in the comic book sense and so it's almost like this modern um approach is is not just building on it but it's almost reflecting back to a past that never existed so they're designing their own past in order to kind of project forward if that makes sense like steampunk would be a good example of that. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Steampunk's a great example. We could say it's a past that never existed, but now as an aesthetic is really directional.
5: I think the question that, that Kelly was asking around, what is it, why does it look the way it does and what does it mean, is part and parcel to understanding the tech itself. I think it was interesting that the, the call kicked off with an anthropological point of view on the topic as opposed to how does it do it? It seems to be coming from historical references. There was a lot of people on the call who were from the 80s, actually lived through the 80s <laughs> and could recognize the breadcrumbs of an 80s aesthetic being imagined by potentially folks who never lived through the 80s and more of a um, glamorized, nostalgic future nostalgia sort of space almost. I think someone brought up steampunk as being like a analogous example of none of us lived through the, that industrial revolution, but there's almost like this romanticized aesthetic and semiotics that surround a group of people with a, same, a similar sort of like passion point. Her questions were why? And then maybe it's even just a point that we, it's important to ask why, and maybe we should be asking why more often. <laughs> yeah. It was cool to kind of start off with an aesthetic conversation. It's almost like a forced do over. You think about how what retcon scenarios do to the narrative of a story like a movie or a comic book. You're you're you've moved forward in time and you're it's a little bit like changing history. Um, meant to make the future timeline but more palatable to your
0: taste. (laughs) Right, which in a way is consistent with the whole crypto thing. It feels like there's this underlying hope that the blockchain will change the nature of social relations somehow. There's, There's definitely an ideology that is inherent to cryptography and by extension here, blockchain mechanics... And that has to do with the hope of an evolved, more democratic, I guess explicitly open sensibility. The database, if you look at blockchain as a database for simplicity's sake, is accessible to all and owned by no one entity that can rewrite it or take it away. And I own my entries to that uh, to that database. I suppose the miners make that point a bit more complicated, but that, that's what I understand. I'm just wondering if crypto gaming is a kind of onboarding a bright purple and pink entry point to this ideology to this world of blockchain mechanics rather than for example you know another aspect of blockchain is uh defi decentralized finance which is quite analytic and transactional and almost sometimes it feels like you need a degree in finance or economics um and it can be quite nerve-wracking at times to as, to use that as an entry point you know games were an onboarding to facebook which is now mostly reviled by many because its ideology is quite extractive and corrosive and very much closed. And so I wonder, is crypto gaming a way to get people on the crypto train? Axie Infinity and, you know, how it's transforming the economics in the Philippines, as an example, where people play to earn, or I guess they pay to play to earn. Um, And then it becomes a doctrine, you know, like a way of life, because it's supporting life, because people are able to earn money and buy groceries and that kind of thing. And that will become kind of wedded to, uh, you know, they won't want to waver from it because look, I mean, it's changed my life and uh, how can you say anything is wrong with it? I know that's problematic, but it, it just as a, as a way of sort of framing um, this, this, this point in time.
5: Yeah. I think that's, a, that's a interesting way to look at it, particularly when you look at the sliding scale, the spectrum of how finance works. <clears throat> and really if we if it comes down to it, when you, when you really kind of get under the hood and understand how people work, the stock market, it's kind of like a game. It's kind of like gambling, you know, it's, it's based on money and value, but there's risk involved. There's chance taking, there's um, statistics involved, and then you make a move, you make a play. And we've seen how from the wall street to a lottery ticket for a dollar You know, you can put some skin in the game and you can make a move and there's some risk involved and there might be a positive outcome. There might be a negative outcome. Um, Crypto could be exploring all layers of the spectrum as well. You know, Christie's, you can bid on something at auction for millions of U.S. dollars or they're also, you know, accepting Bitcoin now, apparently and um, bits of art bits and bytes of art are being traded all over the place or you can crypto game, you know, and maybe, maybe you're right. in that it's kind of, um, it's a, it's an experimental place because the stakes are lower. Um, but it's also kind of like a gateway drug <laughs> to a new, to
3: a, to, to a new universe.
0: Okay. Let's move to another group and, uh, another set of thoughts.
3: Tom and I went into a, Kind of a discussion around uh, the whole things of Friday night and what you're going to do, what's going to be different, what's going to be the same. Uh, and I think also this monetary issue, at a certain point, we start talking about that because uh, there is this whole part about because you can play with some sort of value, you know, will it change the reason why you play with a family? You know, there is a dark path, which is let's play Friday so we make money but then it's not going to be only Friday and then it goes all into this direction. Are we going to play these games just to play games to make money? And then there is, you know, there is a mid ground in which probably you can play Friday and make some money and maybe that money is not for you. It's for something else. And then Tom um, kind of brought in this more like, uh, let's say brighter vision in which because there is some sort of value attached to the action of playing, Maybe that value can go to something more than us. And so we started talking about, you know, what is uh, gaming with money in a neighborhood? You know, can you can you sort of then put that value into something that is okay for the neighborhood? Does the game itself come or the the reason why we are playing is something that is sort of crowdsourced? You know, basically can you attach the same dynamics to an action that is for good? Um And then even we talked about, okay, but then are there there gonna be games, like board games or like a game, which is attached to a particular cause. So let's say, can I play the game for the Greta Thunberg uh, NFT game, which then by playing that is gonna make, and so then when I go to the game shop, do I buy based on, uh, you know, where is the money that I'm gonna create by playing gonna go? So is that branding then through like cause driven
0: monetary value? Mm -hmm. I understand that in principle, I struggle to imagine how it works and how it supports itself in some fashion. Um, Is it because you're willing to wager such that your earnings become contributions? That's interesting. But at the same time, I don't understand how that would sustain itself. And maybe this is just me uh, still coming, trying to appreciate and understand this current kind of cultural moment, I guess.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And it starts to, you know, in that sort of future mundane sort of way, If we're going to play a board game on Friday night anyway, should we just play and be like, that was fun? Or is there a way that we can take the effort, the outcome of that effort, which is that I have more Monopoly money in my hand at the end of the game than you do. (laughs) Can I actually turn that into some form of actual currency and flow it? It starts to feel like all these various forms of currency, whether it's steps or it's monopoly money or it's coins or it's, you know, Starbucks stars or whatever the hell it is, they're just forms of energy. And you just want to know, can I, can I direct that energy someplace? And sure. Some people maybe direct it back into their pocket or their wallet, but I think a fair amount of us would love to see certain power structures usurped a bit. And could I, could I flow that energy where it's needed? Um, hyper locally or towards a cause that
0: really matters, yeah, and this might be one of those things that might just not make sense to me. I might not be able to completely understand it, like I appreciate it and I get it, and I'm trying to understand it and I think the way I'm trying to understand it is to imagine that we're in a world in which this sensibility is you you just you're part of it it you've lived with it it's part of the air that you breathe um and it's just as routine as any other thing that in another generation might have seemed weird. Um, you know, wheels and luggage at one point seem weird, but like, so what is the transition? Are we in that transition at this moment where the reluctance to accept and appreciate, you know, crypto economics generally is because uh, it's too new? Is it just, is it something that is based on the sensibilities and character and culture of a generation that is growing up Within this right now, just in the same way, it might seem completely hygienic to go online. Whereas there was a point, I mean, I, I can remember a point where it was like, it was sort of exceptional to go online. You did it once a day for 60 minutes because it cost money, because it tied up the phone line and, you know, but once you grew up with it and as part of the, you know, the air that you breathe and you're just in it, then it, these things, uh, these mechanics just make sense. The so stuff that Simone is talking about become, uh, he's trying to imagine it as something that's routine. Um, you you might go and play a game and just would be normal, to say who are you playing for? And it might be, you know, some cause as opposed to just for yourself. That's quite interesting to think about. Okay, next group. This was interesting, uh, talking about derivatives and composable tokens.
4: This is one of the things that we talked about um, a little bit in our... Our group, which was we were talking about portability, and then we started talking about um, tokenization of this stuff allows you to create derivatives, uh, and then you can start to mix and match and create essentially the like the game version of of CDOs, hopefully better than that type of stuff. But the the interesting portability could influence how new games are played if you have this secondary market for. Combine things so your investment of like the uh, example I used like uh, you play Fallout for a hundred hours and Civilization for a hundred hours. How do the how does the work you've done um, tokenize to allow you to combine it into new novel forms that might be the starting point for um, a new game that you start playing? Um, I have spent hundred hours playing Fallout. You spent a hundred hours playing Skyrim, mixed with all these other. Uh, tokens of experiences, where does that start you out when you play a game as that leads to like different experiences? The portability stuff was like really interesting when you think about it from a secondary market perspective.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how crazy of an idea is it that you'd play a game, I'd play a game, we'd look at what we've collected and we'd realize, whoa, if we combine your stuff and my stuff, we've created a whole new kind of thing. Now let's build a game around it. You know, it's like this crazy evolutionary theory, like mutation design. It's wild.
0: Yeah, uh, composability. What this means is that you can take tokens that have been created by a solidity contract, say, by someone you've never met, never have done a commercial deal with, and you can programmatically access the token. You can see its attributes and characteristics. It's whatever color, its shape, or whatever its game aspects might be. Um, and that's because these tokens are created to adhere to a certain set of interfaces that are open source and public. They adhere to standards like, uh, ERC 20 is one, ERC 721. Um, ERC 1151, I think is another, or whatever else might be coming in, in the near future. And, because they have this baseline open standard to them uh you can you can access them you can manipulate the uh, it, it derive certain certain characteristics from them and build on top of it um whereas like old web 2 i mean the web 2 that you where you had open apis uh all the all the open apis got closed down eventually um everything kind of consolidated and you could no longer build on top of it so you you had to have you know special privileged access in order to be able to manipulate the information from, you know, Flickr or Twitter or Foursquare or any any other of the major platforms. Uh, everything consolidated, um, and so you could no longer do it, and it became, everything became quite balkanized, and like, it was like one big company did a deal with another big company, and they exposed their APIs to each other, but they didn't expose it to actually the, you know, the end user, the people who were actually using, uh, creating the information that, that the, the companies were based upon it's like all that spirit went away. It almost feels like web three, uh, you know, when we're talking about it in the, in the aesthetic section of, of seminar, it's, it's, it's redo. It's like a redo. It's bringing all those aspects back and locking it down. So you can't change it. So you can't, uh, take away that access. You can't take away the thing that I purchased and I owned. Um, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, like like that loot game token, uh, which is something that I pointed to in the stimulus material for the seminar, loot is a token that contains a bunch of words that are, at least in my reading, they're evocative of, you know, I don't know, like fantasy role-playing games like uh, Dungeons and Dragons or maybe Magic the Gathering. It's just a bunch of words but very quickly people anticipated that there was a game in the making here, and there can be, and that game can be made by anyone who wants to build on top of these primitives. It's as if the words are game pieces evocative of a future game, and people wanted to get their loot so they would be in on the game. And some bags of loot contain cooler stuff than other bags. I, you know, I, That's what I imagine. But the point is that the suggestion that these words will become composed and built upon and anyone can build on top of that uh loot token to create other kinds of experiences is, is really, really cool in my opinion. Okay. Next group uh, introduced us into a discussion about games as experimental life. Let's have a listen.
6: One of the ways I often think about this is like games are the, are the place where, um, where activities that, that may or may not have uh, obvious intrinsic value on their own get um, an experimental life you know so Mm -hmm. so one of the things that interests me about this topic is like we've we've heard this sort of constant promise of um, these hypothetical you know futures brought about by the blockchain or by cryptocurrency or by the asset class that Mm -hmm. NFTs and their ilk represent, or the functional promise of smart contracts or whatever else you want to throw into that jar, you know, but what happens when you just like you 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 set that aside and you go, okay, well, yeah, but here's these materials, like having a ball what 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 is it like to play with them what 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 happens when um when I at least have the potential of being divorced from those contexts and and attached to others, even if they also bring along some of that where then you're kind of messing around with the idea of, of, of what it means, you know? Um, and so on the one hand, I just kind of expect that, you know, we, we know the monetary thing, we know that we already have casino gambling and we have also, and we have poker and we have all sorts of like really known obvious relationships with, um, the the playfulness of money. Um, you know, those seem like likely places to look for precedent. Um, because we're all so anxious about you know wealth and 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 value, and that's one of the reasons why gambling is so appealing is it's like, yeah, what happens if i if i um what does it feel like to test the edges of my tolerance for risk and you know to uh uh blow up the um uh the the, the wisdom of the 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 time value of money or all of that sort of sort of stuff
5: right the wall in on something.
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, in some ways, like puts the idea of crypto gaming or whatever you want to call it, at, at odds with the object it's, itself. That it, you know, that it's, but it doesn't have to be. You know, it can also be like, like this place to figure out what it really does. What is it for? How does it work? Um, it's one of the reasons I've been a little bit, I don't know, exhausted by the, the, as someone who feels quite critical of, of all this. Naturally, it's also kind of exhausting to see the the knee jerk um this stuff is obviously bad, you know whether it's for environmental reasons or libertarian reasons or whatever you know whatever reasons you want to mount because on the one hand, yes, that's totally obviously yes, but um the invitation is sort of okay, okay, but, but let's just like stop and mess around with this for a little bit and sort of see what happens um, and but you know maybe maybe that noise is is over overdetermined and actually that you know that it's a minority view ultimately
5: i feel like the the whole like get rich fast sort of part of the phenomenon just had the mic first and loudest and at first that caused me to be like Ugh, i don't really like this thing if this is what this is about i'm not really interested but then there was this second voice that kind of stepped forward that said wait a minute we're not about that alone it's actually about a bigger idea it's about a new web experience it's about web 3 it's about equalization it's about democratization it's about creators having control it's about generosity and I'm like okay I'm listening let's see it happen but you you don't see it's gonna yeah. you don't see it coming to the fore as quickly for obvious reasons because people are so motivated by money but I'm kind of patiently trying to watch but well, part what of it because it is, this? is this just a perform performative voice to make that first you know, financially Mm. driven voice feel better about itself? Or are we actually going to tip into like another wave of this work, which is more well-rounded, which is a little more like what you were saying, let the experimental life of this thing, breathe a bit and see where it goes and why it goes there.
3: Okay. But
6: one version of that experimental life is what if it's about the greed? You know, what if that's the thing? What if that is the payload? What, What does it feel just to accept it?
5: You right, know. just like gambling, just you know, like gambling. Well, it will, gambling, it, it will yeah. never not be it will never
0: not be a part, Correct. right I mean, we exactly. have to accept that it will exactly. never not be hey, what else can it be becomes becomes a question of exploration mm-hmm. right experimental life an experiment, figuring out what else can it be
5: I like that. What else can it be what what else might it be? We've seen gambling we know we know kind of how humans are wired, <laughs> of course, there would be that side. but what else can it do and I think even there was a conversation later about connecting the mechanics of cryptocurrency to universal basic income and the ways in which future generations might be amassing just daily wealth and daily quality of life through all these micro interactions and actions i think it can do a lot i think it's important that maybe it was important for markets to see that they have a traditional and quickly understood financial power hmm. and then maybe that flies us the air cover to experiment on the what else can it do part which for me obviously you know is is, is the is the bigger idea here
0: yeah the bigger idea here may be that there's a possibility with the particular kind of mechanics at play with the core sensibilities of you know this third effort at creating a network of human interchange and exchange that something happens other than just generating one's own personal private pile of filthy lucre. Are there other ways in which the benefits are spread that is more futuristic and more transparent and more legible to everyone?
5: I like the way Ian put it is this the payload? Is this all there is? Is this really what it's about? And the rest of the stuff is just to make ourselves feel better about it um, and sleep at night. (laughs) Or is it just, that's the first base idea because it's so obvious and now we're going to round the bases and find all these other bigger ideas. Maybe in, when we come back around to home plate, we've, we've witnessed a paradigm shift of some kind.
0: Yeah. All, all really good questions. I really like that one crypto gaming. Yeah. About, uh, 40 minutes of excerpts from a two-hour General Seminar. Um, Those are some of the highlights. There's a lot more there, and you should definitely come along. Check out a General Seminar. Head on over to GeneralSeminar.com. There's a sign-up list there, and uh, keep an eye on what we schedule next. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget that you can support this podcast series at patreon.com slash laboratory. All your support is very much appreciated. And uh, that's it. I'm Julian. I'm out.
3: G.G. Edgar, Edgar, crank,
0: crank up, up the spin plays. Plays.